Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to find that in your copy of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, For those of you that are gathered with us on Wednesday night here in our sanctuary, we do have a Next Steps class coming up this Sunday afternoon. In fact, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube this afternoon, we're having our Next Steps class at 4.30. And you may have been too late to register, but it's not too late for you to attend. You could show up at 4.30 and we'll have a packet for you, talk with you a little bit about what goes on at Wilkesboro Baptist Church answers some questions about membership. If you're here in the room with us on Wednesday and you'd like to join us for that, see me after the worship service. We'll make sure that we get a link to you directly uh, for information about registering for that Next Steps class. We're moving on in 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, to a passage of Scripture that deals with shepherds or elders or those who are leading their congregations. Um, So this is a passage of scripture that I have studied deeply and studied personally. Oftentimes when I preach a message, I will preach with the points focusing as applications. In other words, they're the way that we can put it into practice and apply it. And some of that will happen tonight for those of you that are listening. But I'll just be upfront and frank with you. The majority of this message is aimed at those who are going to pastor and lead congregations. That's the text. And so this has been per, uh, uh, pertinent for me in my ministry as your pastor. It will be pertinent for our pastoral staff. Pertinent for other pastors and church leaders or aspiring church leaders. It, it will have applications and implications for you as a congregation as well. If nothing else, you can walk out of here maybe with a little better understanding of what God expects of pastors and leaders and pray for us a little more deeply because we need all the prayers that we can possibly get. Especially when you get to the title of this sermon, Christ-Centered Shepherding. Peter has been clear that Christ is our example, our model. He's the one we're to live up to. He's the one who redeemed us and saved us in chapter 2. He's the one that is the reason why we have all those miracles that Dustin just sang about and why we have all that grace that God has invested in our lives and drawn us to himself. He's the reason for all of that. And so we, as followers of Jesus, need to realize that he's our model and our example. And as shepherds... We're supposed to be Christ-centered in the way that we live and in the way that we lead. Uh, Just this week, I read an article in the Wilkes Journal Patriot. It's not a local article, per se. It was in the living section. It was more a national article. But in that article, it covered three ministers, three specific ministers who have stepped away from the ministry over the past year because of the heightening pressures of pastoral ministry and the the challenges of leading congregations uh, during the time of COVID. One of those happened to be Jeff Weddle. And the day-to-day challenges, decline of religion, challenges of pandemic leadership, and political divides that seeped into the church, he basically came to the point where he said, I don't need this anymore, and he stepped away from ministry. Another pastor, Brandon Cox, who had served for years in Georgia, put it this way. He said, ultimately, he said uh, the, the trifecta of co- the COVID-19 pandemic, 2020 election, and the racial reckoning in response to the death of George Floyd hit our church like a wrecking ball. Uh, and it caused him to rethink ministry 
and to step away from ministry. Uh, according to a recent George Barna statistic, uh, 29% of pastors considered leaving the ministry during the COVID year. Um, Jeff Weddle also said this, closing out the article, ultimately you want people to grow in Christ, you want people to be caring, to make sense of the Bible, applying it to their lives. And you know, for thousands of years, it's been very difficult to get people to do that, so the job is inherently frustrating. Well, there's some reality to those difficulties. I was talking with uh, Pastor Tad, our associate pastor for youth and education. He let me know that five of the seven close friends in ministry that he's had over the years, either fellow youth pastors or ministers that he served under, not including the ones that he's currently serving with, five of the seven that he was really close to are no longer in ministry. And not because of retirement, but because they stepped away from ministry. And I read that article, and I've talked with Pastor Tad, and I've thought about those things, and I kind of wanted to scream at the paper, it's always been this way. There are always challenges in pastoral leadership and pastoral ministry. There are always stresses and pressures. The pandemic year just kind of put a heightened focus on some of the challenges that are inherent in preaching and teaching ministry and the responsibility of what God has called us to do. And all of that brings us to a passage of Scripture where Peter says our focus can't be on how difficult it is or how joyous it is or, or what you get out of it. Our focus has to be how do we engage in ministry in a Christ-centered way. One way that you can think about this as a, as a congregant is this, as a church member. What would you be looking for if you were looking for a shepherd? Now, now you have one here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Uh, God's called me here, so it's not like you're out looking for a new pastor. I don't mean in that sense. But if you were to look for someone that you wanted to follow as a pastor and as a leader, Peter gives us some examples and some ideas, some characteristics of what that Christ-centered shepherd should look like. So let's read what he says, and then let's unpack these five characteristics that are found in the text. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then our memory verse for the month comes in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, if you really pay attention to the text, you look back at chapter 4, it closes pretty well. Why does Peter then make a transition and talk to pastors and, and elders in the church? I think one reason he does that is to just give them a sense of direction and encouragement as he's closing the letter. Another reason he does that, if you go back in the book of Ezekiel, there are plenty of places in the book of Ezekiel where, where there, there's an explanation of judgment, there's a promise of suffering and difficulty, and then Ezekiel in his prophecies transitions and talks about the shepherds of the people of Israel. Now those shepherds were priests and prophets and leaders who were uh, not faithful in their task. 
And so Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah on different occasions called out the shepherds who were unfaithful in their ministry leadership with the people of Israel. And so in Peter's mind, maybe he was dwelling on and thinking on the book of Ezekiel. Maybe he was, likely. But, but in one sense, what he's doing, he's reminding the leaders of the church, here's what it looks like to be a pastor, a shepherd of the congregation in front of you. One other qualifier I would make is he talks to the elders, the elders in the church. The, in other words, it's in the plural and often, quite often, that is uh, the case in church ministry where there are multiple pastors. In our church, we have pastoral staff. Would we necessarily use the word elder? Maybe not. Maybe that draws a little different church governance. The reality is, though, that we need others alongside of us, even if you're in a church that's a single pastor, single staff church. There can't just be one person guiding and leading. We need a team. We need others around us. And so Peter writes to the elders. He gives us five characteristics of Christ-centered shepherding. The first one is this. Christ-centered shepherds know Jesus personally. Catch this. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Tell you something, Peter could have written to the church and said, I'm an apostle. In fact, I'm better than an apostle, I'm a super apostle. In fact, I'm even better than that. I walked with Jesus, I was there when he raised Jairus' daughter, I was one of only three people to be there on the Mount of Transfiguration when I saw Jesus in his glory. Peter could have commended his experience in life and his experience in ministry as a reason for people to hear him and heed him. But Peter didn't write that because Peter had met Jesus. Peter realized there was only one superhero in the church and that was not him. He realized there was only one person that was preeminent, one person that deserved glory, one person that deserved praise, and it wasn't any of the apostles, and it wasn't Peter. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. And here's the way Peter described himself. I'm a fellow elder. God's called me to this gospel ministry of leading churches and pastoring and shepherd, and that, that's who I am. I'm alongside you. So it's like a, there's a partnership. And he said, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Maybe that was indirectly. He's talking about the sufferings of Gethsemane. Maybe Peter witnessed the crucifixion from afar. We're not entirely sure. The gospel accounts don't say that he was directly there, immediately there watching the crucifixion accounts. But nevertheless, G Peter was a witness of Jesus' sufferings. He had met Jesus. And if we want to go even further, we could go back to that sermon we preached on Easter when Jesus met Peter and forgave him of his disdain. I mean, in, in a real sense, folks, there are a lot of pastors out there who have disqualified themselves from ministry for a whole host of moral reasons or ethical reasons or, 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 or pride or attitude. And some of those things Peter's going to list in a moment. Peter had disqualified himself from ministry by denying the one that was dying on the cross or had died on the cross for him. And yet, what did God do? What did Jesus do? He showed him grace. He brought him into a relationship with himself. He forgave him. Folks, Peter knew Jesus personally. That's why he could say, I'm a fellow partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. I'm not any better than you. You're not any better than me. We're just here as people who have met Jesus. I had a, a, a professor who used to put it this way. He said, saved preachers make the best preachers. Some of you will get that in a moment. 
You know, there are some times where people will get called into ministry, or will be in ministry, rather, and they won't be converted. I'm talking about that a little bit. Christ-centered shepherds are people who know Jesus personally, have a personal relationship with the living Lord. They have a personal relationship with the God who comes in and changes them. That's a real need. It's a real important point. They need to be able to, as shepherds, we need to be able to share our testimony of meeting Christ and knowing Christ and walking with Christ. A little different angle of this, we need to be walking with Jesus regularly, daily. Do you realize that you don't lose your need? I don't lose my need for the gospel as soon as I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul David Tripp, in his book entitled Dangerous Calling, he put it this way. He says, if writing to pastors, writing to leaders, spiritual leaders, if you aren't daily admitting to yourself that you are a mess and in daily and rather desperate need for forgiving and transforming grace, and if the evidence around has not caused you to abandon your confidence in your own righteousness, then you are going to give yourself to the work of convincing yourself that you are okay. What do I mean? I mean that a Christ-centered shepherd is someone who realizes that they need the gospel, not just when they trusted Jesus to be their Savior, but they need the gospel every day. That song about all of those graces and miracles and blessings in our lives, we don't lose our need for that. When we, you know, are 20 years in our ministry, or 20 years in our Christian experience, we never lose that. We need Jesus Every single day. And Christ-centered shepherds know Jesus personally. Let me pause for just a second and say to all of you, do you know Jesus personally? Some of you are good at going to church. You've been to church. Some of you have even been to church in a pandemic, so you get a super gold star if we're giving out Christian gold stars. Some of you have even sung in a mask. Man, you want to talk about a real gold star. Those of you that are worshiping, whether you got a mask on or not, that's a super gold star. You've done all those things, but let me ask you this question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Things you do don't earn you a place in heaven. The only way that you can experience forgiveness and eternal life is to know Jesus personally. That happens when we confess our sins, when we admit that we're unrighteousness and can't do anything about our sins, and trust in Jesus alone to save us. And if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or the television or radio, if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus personally, maybe you're at this particular moment in the sermon and you're listening and you're like, is he talking to me? I'm not sure he's talking to me. I don't think he's talking to me because I remember there was a moment in my past when I did something and I, I think it was, I became a follower of Jesus, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I really know Jesus. And you're trying to convince yourself that this, is, this part of the sermon isn't about you. But your palms are a little sweaty and you're a little nervous. Maybe your heart's beating a little faster. That might be an indication that this part of the sermon is for you and about you. And if you don't know Jesus personally, I'm going to tell you something. The only way that you're going to be ready to meet God in heaven is to know Jesus in a personal relationship with with him alone. I'll come back to that as we close our sermon in just a moment. But Christ-centered shepherds know Jesus personally. Here's a second characteristic. Christ-centered shepherds oversee the sheep willingly. Here's what he writes in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. 
And he gives some other qualifiers, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Shepherd the flock of God. That means oversee them. You can see hints at Jesus' mission to Peter here. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And so Peter reiterates that command to the shepherds, the elders that are responsible for the church or the churches that he's writing to. Shepherd them, oversee them. And by the way, this is part of the reason that pastors have stressful and challenging ministries. I'm not directly responsible for everything that happens at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Our pastoral staff is not directly responsible for everything. But in an oversight responsibility, we are responsible for everything. If something happens in any arena of our church life, I have to be aware of it and know what's going on and carry that as a little bit of pressure and oversight. And then you throw in the, the, the opportunities for counseling or the opportunities for correction or, or preaching or preparation or, or caring about people who are in the hospital. I mean, the list can go on and on. And so what Peter says is the shepherd has a responsibility for oversight, overseeing. It's the idea that we're responsible for, okay? And we should undertake this role. Christ-centered shepherds should undertake this role willingly. I remember going to Bible college, and there were a lot of guys that would crash out of Bible college. They'd be there for six months, and they'd leave because they weren't called by God. They were there because they felt like it was their duty. They were there to serve out of compulsion, not out of calling. And that's what Peter says the difference is. Christ-centered shepherds don't serve because their mama said they'd be a good preacher one day or because their daddy said they needed to be in ministry, but they serve because God called them to serve. Let me say this very clearly. I, I can't speak for anybody who stepped out of ministry, whether they're called or not called. I can only say this. I know God called me to ministry, and if I step out of ministry, I'd be stepping out of his plan for my life. We, call, we serve because God's called us. Serve willingly because God's called us. And Peter gives another qualifier here. He says, not for shameful gain. Notice this, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Evidently, early on in the church's life, people were being pastors and elders because they thought they would get something out of it financially. And that's true even today. That's been true in the history of ministry. You could go all the way back to Jane Austen's novels. In her novel, Pride and Prejudice, there is a reverend, Mr. Collins. And that reverend, Mr. Collins, had a wonderful opportunity to lead a particular congregation in that community. And his aim in life was to live a very comfortable life as a minister and marry well. That, that was his aim and ambition in life. He wasn't a very good representative. Now, Austin had other representatives in some of her books that were ministers that represented that particular charge well. But I'm going to tell you something. Ministers, pastors, shepherds shouldn't get in it for shameful gain. You say, is that going on today? Well, unfortunately, it is. You pay any attention to TV preachers, and I guess I'm one of them now. I mean, that's just crazy, right? I feel awful even saying that, that, I, you know, that we're on, on all these streaming platforms and stuff. But, but some of them on different networks than we're on. I'll leave it at that. Get on, they get on their, their, their programs and they brag about their jets. And some of them are out there in $5,000 sneakers. I can't imagine spending $5,000 on a pair of sneakers. Let me tell you, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I could preach in a pair of sneakers in this pulpit. 
I, I'm just not sure I could do that. I mean, I, 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 I'm just not sure I could do that. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But the point is that Christ-centered shepherds don't get into this thing for money. That's not the goal. They serve eagerly, willingly, because God has called them. It's not about financial gain. It's not wrong to pay a pastor. It's not wrong to take care of your ministry. That's, that's not a wrong thing. But if his motivation is to be financially secure and not serve Jesus, then that's wrong. And that's what Peter says, not for shameful gain. It's not about that. It's about something different. He goes on and qualifies it again. He says, good shepherds do not serve as dictators, but as examples. Look at what he says in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I've, I've watched some pastors. Maybe you've been in churches where the pastor functions like a dictator. What he says goes, and there's nothing that happens outside of what the pastor says. And what Peter says is that's not the way pastoral leadership works. Christ-centered shepherds aren't dictators. They don't lead over a flock. They lead with a flock. They work together. You try to figure out how best to care for their flock. They're with their flock. They, they serve in the same place they are. They, they get down in the muck and the mess and the lives of their sheep. They, they're not dictators. They're, they're not, they don't demean the people that are underneath them. They serve willingly. Christ-centered shepherds or to oversee willingly. I'm just going to pause right here and ask you to do something. Uh, for me and for your pastoral staff and for any other pastors that you know, occasionally look at this passage of Scripture and pray over this for us. Pray that we'll, that we'll characterize Christ-centered ministry rather than self-centered ministry. It's tremendously important that you help us through your prayers and your encouragement in those areas. Here's the third characteristic. Christ-centered shepherds serve for rewards eternally. In other words, their focus isn't on this life, and their focus isn't on gain. It's on something broader than that and greater than that. Notice what Peter says, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, by the way, that's Jesus. He's the only true shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who's right and righteous and in control. That's going to come back a little bit when we get uh, later on in, in chapter 5, especially verse 8. You read verse 8 and try to see how they connect, and, and we'll, uh, we'll move from there next week. But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So hold on a second. Peter says it's not about shameful gain, but when the chief shepherd comes, you're going to get a crown of glory. Well, if by crown we understand that to mean a sovereign's crown, then we've got that mistaken. The word that Peter used is not the word for a crown that a king would wear. It's not a word for a crown that indicated jewelry and gold and all of these things that indicate, that indicate wealth. It's not about showing off. The crown that Peter talked about here, the word is for essentially a wreath that would be laid on the head of an athlete who was victorious in an event. Just like a, a, a wreath, a green wreath of, of reeds or of leaves or of branches kind of molded together to make a crown. Now, all of you know that if you take a, a piece of greenery and you, and you make out of it a crown, it's not going to live very long because once it's removed from its root, it dies. But Peter gives a qualifier. It's an unfading crown of glory. What, what Jesus promises for those Christ-centered shepherds who serve him faithfully it is a crown that depicts something that's going to last forever. And really, the ultimate uh, privilege of the crown isn't the crown, it's the glory. 
It's the fact that here's a wonderful thing, and, 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 and this is something that should amaze all of us. I was reflecting on this with our discipleship group in a conversation yesterday. Get this. Jesus died to save you. He invites you to trust in him personally, and really he forgives you of your sins, offers you eternal life, and then when we get to heaven, guess what we get to do? We get to share in his glory. That should just astound us that God wants to share his glory and his greatness with us. And in a specific sense, those that serve in a Christ-centered ministry and focus on him will have a crown of glory awaiting us. Let me tell you something, why that matters. Because uh, we don't keep our crowns. If you get a crown and you get to heaven, you don't keep it. You lay it back at the feet of Jesus. It's, a, it's an opportunity for you to worship Him. Christ-centered shepherds serve for rewards, not this side of eternity, but the next side of eternity. They serve for rewards eternally. Here's a fourth characteristic. Christ-centered shepherds lead by example humbly. Again, Peter says, there were to be examples to the flock... That's verse 3. And then he goes on in in verse 5 and says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he gives a specific statement. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me make a a qualifier or two uh, for for just a moment. Peter's transitioned. He's talked to shepherds. And now he's talking to the congregation at large. So there are some specific applications that should be true of all of us in these verses of Scripture. But for the shepherd, it, the indication is that leadership for pastors should be humble leadership. It shouldn't be self-oriented. It should be others-centered or Christ-centered. It should be focused on what we do for other people. It should be humble. It shouldn't be about us. It should be about other people. And so Peter makes it clear what that looks like in the life of the church. He says, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, we could get down in the weeds of all the details of that. Uh, It could be uh, some commentators have have questioned whether that was about younger pastor leaders who were serving underneath specific elders. Uh, But really in the context, in talking about subjection that he's talked about in chapters 2 and 3, and in talking about the church, which seems to be the context here, it really appears like what Peter is saying is those who are underneath the responsibility of the elders should submit to the elders. The picture is of a church that doesn't buck pastoral authority or pastoral leadership just because they don't like what one thing that's happened or this thing that's happened. It, it, the idea is this, that churches that function as they ought to are functioning where a Christ-centered shepherd is leading from the, from the guidance of Jesus and, and under the characteristics of Christ, but where the church is not fighting that leadership and trying to run away and trying to do something different. And I want to tell you, there are a lot of churches that have struggled over the years. I mean, it's a 2,000-year struggle for churches, right? But in the last year, it's been a very specific and direct struggle on a whole lot of fronts. There's been political tension that's seeped into the church. There's been community tension that's seeped into the church. There's been technology tension that's seeped into the church. There's been protocol tension that's seeped into the church. And I want to just brag on Wilkesboro Baptist Church for a moment. We've not been perfect in all of this. But I'll tell you this, uh, we haven't fought a lot over all this stuff for the last 14 or 15 months. And that's a testimony to living out that particular verse. We're, we're not fighting about it. And I don't know exactly all the details of what it looks like 
as mask orders have been released and we're trying to figure out some of those things, how we move forward back into more of a normal, that's a really loaded term because I don't know what normal is or what it ever was, but you know what I'm saying. We move back to, to some sense of what church was like before. I don't know all those answers, but I'm pretty confident that we're going to be okay because the last 14 months have given me a pretty good indication that you're going to work with us and be with us and we're going to try to figure it out together. So there's a picture there. Christ-centered shepherds lead by example humbly. Lewis Allen in his book, The Preacher's Catechism, which was a gift by one of my best friends, accountability partners, he, he sent me this book and there, there's a phrase in it. Allen says this, he says, preachers of Jesus must be like Jesus. No one will listen to a man to learn Christ if they cannot look at him and see Christ. I tell you, that's convicting. It's convicting for me. It's convicting for our pastoral staff. It should be convicting for any leader. Why? Because Peter says we're to clothe ourselves, all of you, that's to every one of us, but in specific application in this text, myself and our pastoral leadership, we're to clothe ourselves with humility. That image there, the term for clothe, is the term of dressing ourselves like a slave. Slaves would put on particular aprons for particular duties. So if they're washing the, the, the floor, if they're washing someone's feet, they would put on a particular apron that would indicate their subservient responsibilities. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. The way that we are to interact with one another is to be an interaction that says, it's not about me, it's not about my way, it's not about what I want, it's not about what I think, it's not about what I think is right, I'm not going to buck, I'm not going to fight, I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to defend myself, I'm not going to get angry, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to listen. And, and sometimes we all need that corrective experience in our lives. Sometimes we need that in the sense of what Peter says here, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You realize if, if we think we're always the ones who have gotten things right, God's going to oppose us? I'll make a confession. There have been some times that God's opposed me because I thought it was all about me. And I'm working on the opposite side of what God is all about. Listen, God opposes those who are proud. He opposes those of us when we're proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And he goes in verse 6, and to all of us, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Folks, we're, humility is to be the governing characteristic of our behavior as followers of Jesus, and certainly it is to be an indicating quality of a pastor who, should, who would glorify God. Not about self-promotion, not about glory-seeking, not about even skills or talents. That's not primary. What Peter says is primary is humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That image, the mighty hand of God, why do we humble ourselves? Mighty hand of God is the mighty hand of God that rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt, brought the plagues upon the Egyptians, parted the Red Sea. The mighty hand of God is the mighty hand of God that reached down into your past sinful experience and that pointed out your unrighteousness and drew you to a salvation that he has completely and totally given you through what Jesus Christ did. The reason we can bow before the mighty hand of God is because we realize what it's done and we bow in humility. Let me give you a fifth characteristic. Christ-centered shepherds encourage dependence on the Lord intentionally. This gets us to the last verse of our memory verse. Casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Or casting all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. 
want to tell you something. Many of you will send me a message and ask me to pray about something, and I've done that. And some of you have come to my office and you've asked for advice or counseling, and I've, I've done that, and, and it's part of my responsibility. Many times we as a pastoral staff will sit around and we'll take issues that are going on in the life of the church, we'll take decisions, protocol decisions, all sorts of things. We'll sit around, we'll hash it out, we'll discuss it, and we'll try to figure out what's best. We'll do that with the deacons, and we'll do that with, with other staff members, and, and we'll try to work together to figure out the right answers. We'll take our cares and our situations, and we'll bring them to someone to try to help us figure it out. And that's important, and we need to do that. We need to help one another out. But I want you to understand something very, very clearly. The one that can help you out more than anybody else is not me. It's not our pastoral team. It's not our deacons. It's not even a counselor that you might go see outside of our church context. Casting all of your anxieties on him. In some ways, the greatest thing that I can do for you as a congregation, for you as an individual, is point you to the only one that can handle all your stuff. It's pointing you to the one that you can count on and depend on no matter what's going on. Now, I can help you with that maybe specifically in a conversation, but I mean that truly we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Let me illustrate it this way. I agree with some of those pastors and some of those church leaders from that article in the Journal Patriot. Ministry is tough. There have been times in my ministry life that I have been overwhelmed. There have been times I've been frustrated. There have been times that it's been difficult. And to be quite honest with you, that last year has presented challenges that we never thought would exist in the life of the church. And I'll just be honest with you. Let me make a little confession to all of you that are hearing. I kind of hope we don't go through another year like we've just been through. I'm just going to be honest with you. I kinda, we don't have to figure out what it looks like in the life of the church to deal with a pandemic. I kind of hope that's behind us forever. Well, as soon as it is actually behind us. I really do. I'm just being honest with you. That's just sharing from my heart. But God's been good and faithful to us through that. And I agree. It's tough sometimes. You, you, get, you get a place where you think, can you handle any more? Here's one reason I agree with those, some of those pastors and agree with some things that I've heard and I've seen. Uh, stress and challenges are kind of like a, kind of like a water bottle. Now, you're going to have to you're going to have to work with me here on this for just a second. So, if we think about it this way, we all have a certain capacity for stress and responsibilities. And in a in a general everyday pre-COVID situation, our stress capacity may have been filled about like this water bottle. I think it's about 40% uh, 40 full of water, 60% of it has been drunk. And so, you know, we, we, we've got a pretty good capacity left to handle something else in life, right? And that's kind of where we are. And so if you squeeze that water bottle, and I'm not going to take the lid off because that would be disastrous. But if you squeeze that water bottle with the lid off, then what happens is the water fills up, but it doesn't overflow yet because there's plenty of room left for you to be squeezed a little bit more and handle things. But our COVID year has been kind of like a water bottle that's quite more full. Because you take normal situations in life, and then God bless you if you're a remote school mom, Right, and you throw that in there, that takes a 50% full life and brings it all the way up to the 90s. 
And then God bless you if you were a teacher in a COVID year. I mean, that just, it, 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 and how about this? A teacher with kids in a COVID year. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how some of the folks that have taught our kids have managed it in the last year. But you take all of that and you're all the way up to 85, 90, 95% full. And then you take any more squeezing and you squeeze it and guess what happens? You pop. And you do have a tendency to get overwhelmed and frustrated and say, I'm done with this. I've seen that. I've watched that. And I'm sure that to some degree, that's what's going on in the lives of some of these pastors and ministers who have, are holding on and they've just gotten so overwhelmed with stuff that's beyond them. And by the way, it's all beyond us. But so overwhelmed, they can't handle things anymore. But I want to tell you, there's a good promise here. Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for us. And you can start listing your anxieties. Your fears about your personal relationship with God or your fears about COVID or your fears about somebody who might get COVID or your fears about sickness or your fears about politics, fears about money, fears about inflation. I mean, we keep going down the line, throw fears there. And then you take responsibilities, anxieties, anything that causes us to be worried and causes us to doubt and causes us to fear and causes us to fret. All your anxieties, Peter says, listen to this. Casting all your anxieties, in the plural, every single one of them, casting them all on God. By the way, that's the picture of the gospel. When we come to faith in Jesus, here's what we do. We take every bit of our gunk and our unrighteousness and our wickedness and we say, I can't do it anymore. I can't solve it. I can't fix it. Lord Jesus, I cast it on you. I trust you completely and let you deal with it. I want to tell you, if you'll trust in Jesus alone, he'll cleanse you and forgive you of all of your sin. He'll bring you into eternal life. Casting all our anxiety on him means that he can take it. As a follower of Jesus, it means that we can, he, we can cast everything on him. I should get this, because he cares for you. In the Greek language, the word cares is singular. We have anxieties, plural. We have all this stuff that we're carrying around with us. For me, it's ministry stuff, and it's family stuff, and it's, it's challenges, and it's other things I've got to get done. For you, it might be a whole host of different things. We're carrying all these anxieties around. Peter says, we can cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares, singular, for us. What does that mean? God's only care is you and me. God's not fretting about all the things that are going on in the world. God's got all that handled. He has willingly, lovingly, graciously turned his attention to you and to me. And if tonight you come to this altar and you say, God, I'm a sinner, I want to know you personally, he will give you his attention and he will rescue you from your sin. If you come to this altar tonight and you bring a stress, you bring something you haven't been able to control for years, and you lay it at his feet and you cast it on him, he will take it from you, he will carry it, he will handle it, because his attention is turned to you. You want to know how we as a pastoral staff have made it through a COVID year? God's been the one to carry stuff that we can't carry. I'm inviting you tonight, I'm inviting you in your bedroom or in your living room, wherever you're watching, to turn your anxieties to him. Cast them on him because he cares for you.
stand with me? Heavenly Father, we freely admit that we're not able to handle all the things that are in front of us. We come to you in this moment humbly, confessing our sinfulness and our selfishness, confessing our attempts to control and figure out. We cast our anxieties on you. I cast my anxieties of pastoral ministry and leadership, counseling, decisions, cast it on you. I give it to you, Father. And I know that you say you have it. You're in control and I trust you with it. I know there are some watching and listening that haven't trusted you yet as their Savior. They don't know you personally. I pray in this moment. I pray this week. I pray in the next days you would convict them and you would draw them and Father would help them to cast their sin upon you and trust you alone for salvation. I pray, Lord, for that person in the room, that person watching, who has a burden that is way bigger than we can even imagine. And they've just been rattled with it. And they're at that point where they're about to pop because all of the pressures, regular pressures, and you know, this thing on top of it has caused them to be anxious and worried and afraid. Father, help them to have the faith and the trust. To cast that on you and trust that you are the one that can handle it and take care of it. Move in our hearts. Remind us that you give to us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.